I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. The Black Fat Film Podcast is a production of iHeartRadio and Dr. John Paul, LLC. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Black Fat Film Podcast, where all the intersections of identity are celebrated. I am one of your hosts, John, also known as Dr. John Paul. And I am Beyonce heated that I just learned that New York and company closed all their stores. Like, I just, like, literally started making money and had dreams that I was going to go in there and live my film life, like, be able to buy up the store and then I went to the website and it closed, closed, closed. <laughs> then I had to go on to Google and had to figure out why all those stores were closed. They filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy and nobody told me <sighs> nothing. And everybody's, oh, they're online. <laughs> what do I look like? Think like my dreams are gone, literally. It is not the same to shop online. Just left me all out in the cold with my booty <laughs> out. Didn't nobody say nothing to me about any of this. <laughs> I'm really, really upset. Like you have no idea how perturbed I am, Joho. <laughs> I'm I'm gooped and gagged for you. I couldn't even tell you what a New York company is. So I'm also like, oh, where? What is this that you speak of? Like it's the white, it's the white lady store. It's the store where all them rich white ladies shop. It sounds um, so, I'm so bougie. I was like, true. you know, you know, I'm broke. When I was like, the what? The New York <laughs> The black yeah, yeah. But anyway, so I'm just a little, I'm a little mad about that. But anyway, how are you, girl? Girl, I'm doing great, fam. It's Jordan, aka Joho, and I'm coming to y'all live from San Francisco, the land of the brands. Honestly, it's surprised I have not seen an NYNC anywhere in these streets. But I must tell you, I went to a mall over the weekend, John, and I was like, mm. ugh. People still enjoy shopping in a store. That could not be me. 
could not be me. Overwhelming, cramped, crowded, and loud as hell. These days, it's it's online. Is afraid to get my pants down. If you say it's online, <laughs> baby, we fucking today. But <laughs> that's see, what it's. That's, but that's uh, the difference with me is I am that millennial that needs it like right now. I'm that girl that loves to go into a store. And maybe because of how mm. I grew up, maybe a store is kind of the way I like to live because of that. But I love mm. going into a store and being able to be like, oh, you got that in stock? Joint? Like, that's the kind of life that I love to live. The waiting on my... And then, real talk, Joho, a lot of these FedEx and these um UPS people, they steal. They, I don't know if you've had that happen, but I've had packages stolen. Oh, hell no. Where they've been like, oh, it didn't, it didn't arrive. I'm like, mm-hmm, they knew what was in the box. They know... <laughs> And stole it, so I'm I'm good. I feel you, but oh, you know, no, no, JK, <laughs> they can keep that. I'm not gonna do that. Okay, back inside I go. Then find me a new company <laughs> as well. I'll join you the lines. I'll I'll, um, I'll ride with you, bitch. Yes, yes, yes. Ride with me to uh, to New York and company. We gonna go ahead and find some change to go ahead and get them out of they uh, out of their debt situation. But anyway, all that to be said, um, if y'all hear me sniffling throughout this episode, yes, the girl didn't got got. Um, she does not have COVID. So I will say that I have tested several times. Mama does not have COVID, but I am sick boots down the house down. Mama. Oh, her. I am all of those things. Um, but as our ancestors say, we persist. And so with that being you said, I am are here a pair, today. What was that? You and, me are, you and me are a pair, John. Last Baby. week it was me. This week it's you. Like, damn, we can't catch a break. It, it literally snuck up on me. You know, so I'll say this real quick before we go in to introduce our guests. I was sitting at the airport last week. Um, Well, this is by the time y'all hear this, it'll be two weeks ago. So I was sitting at the airport. And baby, you know how you just sitting there minding your business and then you mm-hmm. get that tickle in the back of your throat and you said, ah, oh, damn, I'm sick. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. It was That's literally I was sitting there was at fucked. the B gate and I just looked up and I said, oh, damn, I'm about to get a cold. And it wasn't even like there was there was just that feeling that I just knew it was coming. And I was like, oh, I yeah. have pathology. I hope pathology. Yeah. Girl, I woke up the next day and I was full blown sick. So. Um, but we've been pushing. We're going to be all right. We're going to be good. We're going to keep the show going because nothing stops. Um, they say one monkey, one cold does not stop a, stop a show. So with that being said, this week we have a wonderful guest for y'all. Someone who I have not only had the opportunity to interview, but also have gotten a chance to know in real life. I know we actually met at Lambda Literary in 2017. For those of you who don't know what Lambda Literary is, this is where all the, what I like to say, the amazing gays. There has been some amazing (laughs) work that has come out of Lambda Literary. And obviously, with our guest this week, one of those works we're going to be discussing a little bit in our next segment. But with that being said, I am just very, very excited for them to be here. Um, Seriously, when I met them, I looked at them and I said, we get the vision. Like, I see the vision. Mm. I get it. I understand it. Mm. And it it has manifested into us being really good Judy's. Um, so with that being said, they are an educator, best-selling author. I want to put emphasis on best-selling because can't, yes. can't everybody say that, Hannah? Best-selling. best-selling author and art critic. We would love to say officially that the library is open and mean it. Please give it up for our <laughs> guest this week, Ricky Tucker. How you doing, Mama? Oh. How you doing? Hey, John. Hey, Joe Ho. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. 
You welcome. Go, come on down. Come on down. We are so excited <laughs> to have you. We are really happy that you are here. We're going to kick off our show like we usually do with our <laughs> ode to Miss Tisha Campbell because we got to give flowers to our icons while they're still oh here. God. You hear what I'm saying? <laughs> so this question oh, I have absolutely <laughs> thank you so this yeah. question I have was inspired by a TikTok <laughs> I recently saw I won't I won't give the whole backstory because it's a long ass story but it was really funny so I'm just gonna, so I'm I'm just gonna go back in time really quickly y'all if we could take out the racism homophobia and trashness the transphobia project aids of our last century I'm curious to ask you what is something that you would that you've heard of or could think of about history you kind of wish was still here. Before me, it's moving sidewalks, girl. <laughs> then they have the, they have those like the 1950s and 60s, right? In some cities, the sidewalks that move for you, you know, you know, like 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 they walked, they sidewalked so that the airport little ramp, the uh, things could, could could roll you down the airport. Y'all see those? They have some moving sidewalks, and bitch, that'd be amazing today still, especially Wait. especially while walking these big ass cells in San Francisco. Wait, you you seen them before? No. <laughs> John has follow-up questions. <laughs> John's like, wait. Am I crazy? Am I crazy? I can swear. No, no, I okay. never knew that was the thing. That's really? I, mean, I didn't know they had them out in public. I've always seen them in the airport, but not out Dang. on the okay, street. So I mean, it seems my... like Canada would have something like that. <laughs> Canada. So, <laughs> in a, so it went, and like, when, when I was doing film, when I was doing film classes in school, now I'm like, bitch, was it all, was it all fake? Was it all fiction? I really hope it wasn't because it really had me believing because it was, it was, it was, it was a little documentary of like the technology through the sixties and seventies mm. and they had moving sidewalks. Bitch, someone gonna listen to this and be like, Joe has a conspiracy, conspiracy theorist with his moving sidewalks. But <laughs> listen, I'm telling you, I saw it somewhere on, on the screen. So I'm, I believe it's real. And I, I want to say, bring that shit back. I want a moving sidewalk in the cities so I can roll myself through these damn hills instead of having to walk and walk through them. <laughs> John, stop my face. No, I'm not. So I'm not trying to say you're wrong. I've just never heard of it. I've never heard of it. Wow. Me this... too, I think. I think. But it's no, a, if it's no. at the airport, at least you're not a conspiracy theorist. I think you might be a futurist. Okay. You, I, I think I can okay. hop on the platform. I'm, I'm well, then, no, it, then <laughs> let's bring them outside the airports and into the city streets. And I I've can do it that said, way. <laughs> I've always said that. Yeah. Ricky, what are yours? Agreed. Um, so I have two and one. So in the mm -hmm. book, in the book, in the category is my best-selling book, there's um, a chapter where I yeah. talk about um, church and ballroom mm. as a church space. And I interviewed Lee, Lee Soldier, who's, a you know, um, also fat, black, and femme, okay? And yes. um, Lee Soldier is a black person of ballroom and of New York City. And I had a whole conversation with him about um, about Studio 54 and Paradise Garage and how in one night yeah. he went from 54, lot, said he was Michael, he and his friend Judy, his Judy was named Judy, okay? Mm -hmm. And they went, into, the, they went into, they snuck into 54, telling them mm. that they're Michael Jackson's other brother. Because, you know, there's like 50 million of them. Right, and right. they met Diana Ross and Michael Jackson that night, and then later went to Paradise Garage and saw Keith Haring painting Grace Jones. So mm. I, that was the biggest FOMO I've ever got. It was like probably late seventies, early eighties. So that's I wish I could have been there for that. And the, the um, catch is, my mom was there then because she grew up in New York. So when I posted like about the book 
about 54 mm. and stuff on Instagram. Here comes my mom being like, oh, me and your Aunt Robbie was there. I'm like, of course you were. Yeah. That's my FOMO. I want to bring back those two clubs. Yeah. Y'all, man, I always think about that. Like, there there are photos. I forget who it was. I think, was it, um, who was it that was dancing? There's photos of her dancing. She ain't got no bra on or nothing, honey. She just all out there. But there's a who famous author who was Actually. dancing in studio 54 i can't think of her name off the top of my head folks who are listening if you know who it is please please tag us when you hear this there's a famous writer who there are photos of her in black and white and she is just getting her life at studio 54 and i just thought to myself that would be great and even thinking about they say that charlie murphy and all of them prince all of them they were real notorious Mm -hmm. for hanging out in studio 54 like right towards the end um rick um What's his name? Um, you know who I'm talking. Rick, Give it to me, baby. Uh, uh, Rick James. Rick James. Rick James. Rick James. Rick James. Notorious Rick for James bitch. Yeah. Yes, God. <laughs> I, 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 you know what? Y'all can cancel me if you want to, but I would have been friends with Rick James if he was still alive. He would be my friend because <laughs> Rick too. James. Me too, because he he wasn't telling people he wasn't telling people he was doing crack and stuff. He was Rick right. James by day and night yes. and then going back home and burning people mm-hmm. in his face. I would have been friends with the Rick James that wasn't doing crack. <laughs> I love Rick James was so talented right. to me. I, he would have been my friend. Um, for real, all that's for real. to say for, for me, my, my big ass, what I would love to see come back, I would love to see um, Hometown Buffet make a return. I don't know if y'all grew up on. Maybe <laughs> yes. it was down the yes. street. Yes. Baby. yes. I need I need all of hometown buffet to come back. Um, I don't mm-hmm. necessarily need. So right as they were getting ready to close, <laughs> they started introducing all these different menus and different things that they were adding. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Nah, girl, I need I need hometown buffet from 1991. Like. Ooh. Give me the fried chicken, the fish, like just regular degler mm. hometown buffet. I don't need all the extras because they were trying to keep up with like Applebee's and um all the all the big name brand food mm-hmm. places. I think towards the time that they started shuttering, and I don't even know where on the curb is that there are a few that are still left. Um, I'll even mm. go as far to say too, Sue Plantation, bring Sue Plantation back. Okay, I mean, <laughs> new name, but like same style. Wait, hold on. What's that? Sweet tomatoes. Your sweet tomato, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sweet tomatoes on the East Coast. You ever had that? No, I we had like more like um we had old country buffet, which is home is hometown buffet, same um, thing. Yeah. And then we had what else did we have? Well it, a, a slew of China buffets. Like it, yeah, yeah, on every corner. Okay. Well, what else mm-hmm. did we have? Very was- oh cracker barrel. I'm from North Carolina. Cracker barrel. Cracker barrel. Ah. Okay, yeah, we don't. Well, I mm, Cracker Barrel right. for me was real sketch. I was I mean, always there's real no, there's no sub plantation. Given, yeah, that is. I think I do know what soup plantation is. Soup plantation had a whole bunch of salad, but sweet sweet tomatoes in other cities, same place. Yeah, salad, the bread. I want all that to come back. But yes, bring back buffets. I know that the pandemic okay. wiped a lot of buffets <sighs> out. But girl, bring me back to a good a Vegas buffet. Girl, oh my god! I, we should do a whole oh. episode on Vegas buffets. We, we should, should do, do it episode. at a Vegas buffet. 
Yes I'm out the book bag. Okay. Look, it's worth it's worth the risk. Color. Oh my lord, my lord. I, yes, God. I cannot. Okay. Well, thank y'all so much for inviting some old things into our new lives. Maybe some things that did not exist, but we're going to make it exist today. It's time to take a quick break. But when we get back, we're going to get more into ballroom darling for our category this week. More in a second. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The wait is over. The Shy returns May 10th on Paramount+, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash TheShy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. All right, everybody. So this week we are getting into a category and we're calling it the miseducation of ball culture. And I, we, I, I'll tell you this. I had been wanting to do this episode before the show was even greenlit. I said, I know for a fact I'm doing an episode on ball culture. And I know for a fact that I'm going to have my friend Ricky on here to talk about it, obviously because of your book, obviously because of a lot of the work that you do. And so with that being said, you know, over the years, I have been thinking about specifically before ball became kind of a, a a common household term slash word. I've been thinking about it and thinking about the notion to like, you know, I've written several articles about Paris was burning and the impact of it, right? I've written about RuPaul's Drag Race and, and the ways that we could not have RuPaul's Drag Race without Paris is burning. Um, but really thinking about the conversation, right? And, and how important it is for us as a community to really discuss the harm. And what I mean by harm is not us bonding in trauma. We all know that that's not something we do over here, but really thinking about the harm that can be had around appropriation, specifically when we're talking about the space. Um, so for those who might not fully know what ball culture is, Ricky, I wanted to give a moment for you to kind of break it down for folks. And then we can kind of like 
get in really to kind of this like conversation around appropriation and and the ways that people truly sell how people can truly celebrate the legacy versus how the legacy is oftentimes um not necessarily replicated, but how harm could be done around it. So let us know, like, what are your thoughts around what ball culture is and why is that important for folks to know? Okay, so ball culture has been around for over 100 years. We can back it back that far to the late 1800s, um, mm-hmm. early 19th century. And it is, as it stands, maybe the world's largest art collective. Um, yeah. Performance art, really. So it's Black folks, Latinx folks, generally queer. Um, and the height of the ballroom house system started in the late 60s with Crystal LeBeige. You talk about, you know, RuPaul's Drag Race. If you ever saw that Snatch Game, yeah. um, where, uh, there being Crystal LeBeige. Mm-hmm. She left the drag ball scene, which was integrated in Manhattan. She was Miss Manhattan. And in 1968, during a documentary called The Queen, which you can watch, Crystal LeBeige had had it up to here with the white queens winning just on the merit of being white. This particular queen was Harlow, who was uh, wayfish. According to Crystal, had bad hair. Her makeup was a mess. Yeah, oh, um, and was she was like, "Where's Sabrina? I'll sue the bitch." Yeah, <laughs> I'll sue the bitch. She 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 deserves. She said she deserves everything good in life, but she didn't deserve this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Crystal, uh, Crystal was hot. <laughs> yes. Um, and, uh, and it's so funny, I just showed it to some students the other day and they were dying. But um, if you ever want to get the definition of shade, just show that clip. That is it. But also shade and um, causing a scene comes from an injustice generally, right? right. The heart of it right. is generally an injustice. So anyway, Crystal went uptown to Harlem and started having drag balls um, for just colored folks. And then um, she created the first house, which was the House of LaBeja. Um and then on and on and on. So all these houses sort of form. It's, you know, ballroom can also be considered a nonviolent gang, right? Like yeah. break dancing back in the day, like graffiti back in the day. It's of the same sort of elk. And, um, and it's, you know, walking categories and competing and getting trophies and accolades from your peers. Um, and often embodying a, an identity that's different from yours or the one that you feel is truly yours um, in, mm-hmm. in order to get accolades. Um, so that's sort of the textbook definition of it, but it's also a, a subculture. It's also um, a series of families, the world's largest family, I would say, extended family. Yeah. Um, it's every, it's church for people. It's everything. It's everything. And it's, and it's an answer truly at its core. It's an answer to LGBTQ youth of color being the most displaced, domestically displaced um, population in this country and on earth um, mm-hmm. because people are adopted into gay families. Um, so it serves a lot of purpose, fills a lot of voids, and it is entertainment, but it's so much uh, more complicated than that. Yeah, I love Thank, thank you for you. Thank you for saying that. John, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Paris Burning and, and, and Ricky, I'm really glad you brought, you, you brought up the Queen because I think People believe, like a lot of people, I think believe that person, that person's burning, like was when bottom started, and people don't right. like think about the queen, um, you know, and people don't, people don't think about how it actually began. To your point, began in 19th century. I, I, you know, I often, ref, I often reflect on like listening to his essay, uh, Spectacles of Color, which depicts ballroom as well, a bit, a bit more, a bit, I say a bit more dragon in text and context. But I would love to ask you, you know, just, just, just to your point, Mickey, about. The house that it's just in the in in the sixties and seventies. Could you maybe walk us through? Could you maybe, could you maybe walk us through the evolution of ballroom 
pre then, you know, like during the Queen era, during the 1920s? Like, what, what, what did it look like at that point? So the reason, to your point, John, the reason folks um, so associate RuPaul's Drag Race with um, ballroom is because mm-hmm. their drag and ballroom are two circles that are Venn diagram and sometimes one circle, occasionally mm-hmm. one circle. And back in the early days of ballroom, they were the same thing because there weren't categories that were necessarily walks. You were just um, walking for a drag pageant, right? It was for yeah. pageantry. Yeah. Um, that was around the 60s and around when the Queen was happening right before ballroom broke off. Prior to that, it was drag balls. So it was um, up in Harlem. Um, the Odd Fellows Ball was happening in the uh, like during the Harlem Renaissance and before. If you take a look at uh, at uh, uh, um, news clippings from back in the 1900s and the 1920s, you'll, they'll be talking about balls. Um, Langston Hughes in his autobiography, like he in his autobiography, he talked about going to a ball with um, Alayla Walker, who was mm-hmm. Madison J. Walker's daughter. Um, wow. Okay. Who is supposedly mm-hmm. a lesbian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so think about that, though. So people are talking about Langston Hughes, since the man passed, since he was writing poetry in, during the Renaissance, the Harlem Renaissance, folks have been sort of conjecturing as to whether or not he was queer, gay, straight, whatever. And they don't really have an answer. Um, but the fact that he told his life story and put in there a whole section about going to a ball in Harlem um, means that he was of queer culture at least, right? Mm. And it was important to him. He called it a spectacle, but it was important to him. So, um, you know, there's also the story of William Dorsey Swan, who was um, a, a former slave, enslaved person born in 1860, who in D.C. was having um, drag balls and was the first person documented ever to have referred to himself as a drag queen. So, mm-hmm. um, so the lineage is drag balls, drag pageants, um, but once you start getting into the area of people of color, formerly enslaved folks, the Harlem Renaissance, it starts to be owned by um, ballroom folks and uh, mm-hmm. folks of color. But when you talk about um, the appropriation of ballroom, that's kind of always been happening. It comes and goes in peaks and valleys. But um, Langston Hughes, um, you can even see him talking about the spectators in the balcony um, up in Harlem when he went to the ball up in Harlem because um, white folks would come from the downtown scene. Mm. And come up and and be voyeurs of balls, which is still happening today. There's a club called House of Yes here in Brooklyn that if you um, go there on like the one day a month they have balls, it's sort of like accessible balls, like it's like balls for Karen and them, right? Like ball, balls for like Becky. Mm. Okay. The Becky ball. Not the Becky ball. Becky ball. Yeah. The Becky ball. Yes, the Becky ball. I've been. I've been, I definitely brought a Becky with me, but it's not the real, <laughs> right? It's, it's like, not the real, right? Always, it's not interesting. It's been, yeah. mm-hmm. No one's going to be like, no one's going to be like, yeah, I walked, I walked both them realness um, at the fall of Becky, at the Becky ball. No one's going to be, <laughs> no one's going to brag about that trophy because they probably won't even get one. Right. right. You know, yeah. I, I, I just want to add as well, one thing I find really interesting too is that a lot of the balls, particularly in, in New York, what ha- you know, happened of a, of a time of of segregation? It was, it was one, like one of the first pl- the spaces that I heard where where I mean I wouldn't say fully integrated because there was a hell of a lot of racism happening still. These artistic spaces are the things that are the places where these things happen, and especially in Manhattan, you'll have folk, black folks coming down to the downtown scene 
Um, and you'll have folks downtown coming to the uptown scene, both are markedly white and black. Um, but the art spaces are always where that happens. So, you know, since forever, there's always been your James Baldwin's coming downtown to talk with other, like to talk with white artists. And white artists uh, like Madonna or, um, or the House of Field. So Patricia Field is a really good example because, she, you know, she's the, the, uh, the uh, designer and stylist for many things, including Sex and the City. Back when Paris Burning was sort of um, a big deal, Patricia Field and some of her people that worked at her consignment shop, mostly white folks, went uptown to see a ball um, and ended up creating the House of Field. Um, and so there was a mostly a white weirdo downtown house that actually they walked balls and they held giant balls annually and um, and they were in there. So there's always been a sort of cohesion, um, a co-opting, yes. Um, but Madonna's an example of that. She went to the love ball mm. and the next thing you know, she's got a song called Vogue that's on the Dick Tracy soundtrack, which mm. that has nothing to do with anything, right? So like, <laughs> right. Um, so it's always been there and it, and it comes and goes in waves, but um, it's never the first time. I'm guided about Patricia Fields, wow, wow, yeah, I. And, yeah, and, and the there's a whole there's a whole documentary about it. I saw it a couple of months ago. Yeah, no, I, I, not to cut you off, Ricky. I was gonna say I think that that's why I I really wanted to posit this conversation here on the show because I think we say a lot of. So I'll say this: I know that my at the beginning of my dissertation, I have a whole library of what so many of these terms mean, and if you go through my dissertation. I've always told people that a big part of my dissertation is talking about how the library is open and what students learn in the library and all the different facets of queer culture that <laughs> students learn while being on campus, right, at school, right? Because honestly, you got to teach the children. And a lot of that came from my kind of like, one, growing up, not knowing that Paris is Burning ever existed, seeing Paris is Burning, maybe I would say like, I was probably in my second year of grad school when I finally had seen the film and being able to do a report on it and, and learning so much of like seeing so much of myself in that film and seeing so much of myself as I got to know people again, social media kicked up and, and, and I was able to meet people who were a part of the ballroom scene on my space. I'm aging myself, please judge your mama. But all that to be said, I think it's, so important for us to have these conversations kind of here because this show would not exist if it wasn't for kind of conversations and all of the different things that we're doing. And so I guess one of the other questions that I had for you, you know, I, I think it would be really easy for us to fall into the trap of only pointing at drag race or other shows for the ways that they may be appropriate ball culture. But I wanted to ask you before we kind of like dig into a little bit more in this segment, why was it so important for you to write about the book? I mean, cause you could have written about anything, right? You could have written about the history of queer people. You could have written about the history of drag, but you chose the history of ball or the history of ball culture. And so why was it so important for you to write about it in the manner that you did? There are a lot of like little signs that this should be my first book that I just completely ignored because I thought uh, this subculture in this culture has been, um, has embraced me, but also been the sort of, North Star of my curiosity for like well over a decade. I mean, my mom, like I was telling you, is from New York, and she and her gay best friend were in um, 
the bathroom when I was like eight years old, aging mm-hmm. me as well. We're around, I think we're around the same age. But Madonna's Vogue came out. I heard yeah. it came on the radio, and they, my mom and Reggie were like, "This pepper thinks she's one of the children." And so at eight years old, I kind of knew something was amiss. You know, I was like, "Oh, okay, so this isn't real. What she's doing, right? This is not. This might be Vogue, but it's not real, right?" Mm. And then. Um, around 22, I saw Paris is Burning. So probably around like 2004, something like that. I saw Paris is Burning, just rented it from the local video store when I was living in yeah. Boston. Me and mm-hmm. my ex-boyfriend watched it, and I was like, there it is. There mm-hmm. it is. Like, I didn't know I didn't know that this existed, but I knew it existed. And mm-hmm. this is, and my instinct was, give me more of this, but also I'm a little bit, to be honest, a little bit afraid of it. And that mm-hmm. Right, mm. because all this toxic masculinity that's been imbued into us, I was like, "Whoa, this is like I thought I knew what gay was. This is gay, gay, g- gay." Okay, <laughs> um, and so my yes, curiosity, mamas. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I was like, "This is capital G gay." So yes, um, and then I wrote some articles and stuff, and um, and met flawless Sabrina, who um, was the um, this focus of the Queen. Um, and just all these things fell in place. I went to school at the new school. I moved to New York, went to school at the new school. The first class I signed up for was a class called Vogology. Um, and it mm. was part Vogue. Inst- I'm a little bit of a dancer. And it was part okay. Vogue instruction and part theory. And this was my favorite class. And the, the two men that taught this class, uh, Robert Simber and Michael Roberson. Michael Roberson is um, a huge sort of legend in ballroom and has started many houses, including Garcon and um, just the parents. So a lot of people in the scene, um, they became my two gay dads. And we watched Madonna videos and picked out what the hell is wrong with all of this. Um, I, I learned from Derek Extravaganza and Pony Zion how to vote. Like, it just, it just changed my life. And after that class, I kept up with them. And I, what I, what, so cut to 11 years later, mm. I just done so much with ballroom and, and I was working with them on some, um, not-for-profit activist work. Um, with an organization called 400 Years of Inequality. And Michael saw me on an email and was like, is that my daughter? And I was like, yes, it is. And next to me, one of my colleagues, Rasheen Davis, was an agent and was like, would you want to write a book about ballroom? And literally my reaction was, oh my God, duh. And, you know, I have right two in degrees face. in writing and education. Mm-hmm. Right in my face. And I, you know, I knew I would write a collection of essays at some point, probably about right. music and, um, and art, but, um, and blackness and queerness, but I, didn't I didn't know how to I was publishing about two good essays a year and just didn't know how to get to anyone wanting to yeah. <laughs> read a book of my essays, right? Right. Right. Get to that point. And so um but the ballroom book was such a no brainer and I've been waiting for a ballroom book my whole life that started in the heart of ballroom in New York City. Because mm-hmm. there's one book that um by um Marlon Bailey called Butch Queen Up in Punk. That yeah. I read during Vogology, but it was about mm-hmm. Detroit. And so it's so specific and not the sort of genesis. Um, and so mm-hmm. to answer your question, I just wanted people to n- learn what I learned and know that ballroom is more than just Madonna and know that ballroom is more than, at this point, when I wrote it, more than Pose. You know, even though it's, Pose is very um, pivotal and drew from people's real life events. Oh yeah. Um yeah. and my family members, Twiggy, mm-hmm. Genovia, and Michael, they were all consultants and producers and choreographers of the show. But yeah. I wanted people to know how smart all of them was. 
and yeah. how funny ballroom was and how um and how critical it is to the freedom of not just people who have been marginalized the most but everyone it's a template mm. for freedom for everyone if identity if if a rich white woman can be if someone from harlem or from east new york who's black and trans can walk the category town and country and look like they just came out from the hamptons then that shows you to connect back to rupaul that you're born and the rest is drag it's all pretend not just mm. gender but money is pretend paper that we put value on class is pretend and yeah. now they have mortal consequences mm -hmm. but it is all pretend yeah and so yeah. to me anybody can take that template and be who and what they want to be and say you know through the system yeah so it was important yeah. for me to let everybody know that ballroom was a good point of view for to, mm. to get to that yeah, yeah. I, real quick before I know you ask your question, Joe. I was going to say this made me think about um, for folks again. You know, we pre-record, but there is a film on Netflix. I think it's called The Stray, and it's very interesting because a lot of what you're talking about in this making up your life and how you see yourself and all of this stuff in terms of pretend the stray really kind of tacks onto that. So I just felt the need to say that because I actually enjoyed um, the commentary in the film because it speaks to a lot of that specifically about how we develop our identities as black queer people, because oftentimes who we, you, you said something at the top of this that made me think of that. You said, I, you know, I had all these things put on me before I saw this film. And then I saw this film and what I had to go back and really think about who I was or what society had told me I needed to be. Mm -hmm. And this film was showing me that I could be like, I could create what I wanted to be. Right. And so I think about that, right. In so many different facets, like in connection with this film, in connection to Paris is burning, even down to your book, like there's so much of identity conversations that's interwoven throughout your book and throughout the history of ballroom. And I think it's just important for me. Like I really felt the need to say that. So thank you. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I have to remind myself of that. I know it, but I still have to do the same thing. When I walk mm -hmm. into a room, I got to act like I'm walking a runway sometimes. Yeah. And even my uh, ballroom family, they're like, why are you second guessing X, Y, and Z? You are the thing. God. Yes. You know, yes. So, you are the moment. So we all need that. Mm -hmm. we, I am, I am the moment of legend and yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, absolutely. Mm. It's so beautiful to hear about this book that you birthed so organically and so beautifully. And really, it's I think it's supremely special to know that, like, like it, it's a book that comes that comes from that comes from the inside. You know, because mm -hmm. I think it's like, for example, one of the biggest critiques of Paris is Burning is that the person who filmed it, right, is it it is it, a spectator, it is not existing within the community, but looking at it. And, mm -hmm. you know, so it's so special to know that that this that this creation that you've made is is from the inside. So I I am like, I just really appreciate you here hearing you talk about it. I want to move a little bit from the thought of, a, of, a, of, a, of appropriation to commodification. All right I asked now. this question, I asked this question <laughs> a while ago <laughs> when we had um, when we had <laughs> got a little Al Sharpton over here. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, on the Sorry, show. Joe. I'm gonna do it. You got to move from the appropriation to the commodification. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> So when you ah! said I was surfing, girl, I was hollering in my head because I heard it. 
I heard it. I had to do it. I had to do it. But go on, Joe. I'm sorry to throw you off. Cannot. <laughs> I live. I live. And you got to get your umbrella for the anticipation of the precipitation. Okay. Yes. Yes. Stop. <laughs> Why are we? Ah! I'm, I'm sorry. I had to get one. I <laughs> live. No, I, I thank you. <laughs> and you. <laughs> so, ball culture. <laughs> Y'all can be loud too much. Ball culture has never been more uplifted in the mainstream than it has been with Pose, Legendary. I mean, I would even say Renaissance, you know, like like um, as drivers of ballroom yeah. instru- ballroom in this That's way. technique. Now we're, okay? <laughs> now we're seeing language, <laughs> styles, and themes, et cetera, be appropriate even more so. And in some ways, sometimes, some ways, even straight and like whitewash. And so I'm curious to ask you, Ricky, what is your yeah. take on the state of commodification of ball, of ball culture? It is so tricky. Like, I, so this book, I went in and my gay family from ballroom gave me two tasks to make it unapologetically black. And I was like, how dare you? Of course I will. And the second one was um, make it anti-Catholic. And so the book, obviously, it, I mean, it is. And I'm a, you know, I'm pretty radical in my politics and I've lived a punk rock life once once upon a time ago. So I, I that was no problem for me, especially in terms of words but it's already ironic because i'm selling a book right Right. so it's just like there's so many limitations on it and so just like with we'll use madonna as a test case um i'm not going to dismantle capitalism and being mad at madonna is not going to dismantle capitalism so the presumption is how do we proceed in these capitalist ventures and make ballroom a priority and have people own their own Right. Um, and that looks a slew of different ways. So it, when you think of the case of, well, so you said whitewash. Let me just go there to that. The bridge of Madonna's Vogue is a bunch of white people, mostly straight. Except for Greta Garbo, she dressed up in drag if you're in there. Mm. But everybody else is a straight white person with money. Ballroom is definitively black, Latin, marginalized, queer folk. You know, so mm-hmm. so there's a disparity there. What I felt the need to do as sort of uh, um, brownwashing of that was to go in and put in folks from the ballroom community and rewrite the bridge at the end of my first chapter. Then mm-hmm. Beyonce comes out with Renaissance and the, the remix of uh, Break My Soul is with Madonna on it and mm-hmm. the bridge to it and it all goes to black women, right? And so in that, and I've been writing, working on an essay about that. I'm so glad she's late. It's not late. She's coming out with her visuals later so that, and Beyonce, so that I have time to sort of finish this essay. But I want to do a close <laughs> read of all three because those are, it's sort of like a spectrum. You know, people are messy. My gay father from Ballroom, as a matter of fact, was like, did you hear? I was like, hear what? And he's like, did you hear Beyonce and got no visuals for her album? I was like, you need to stop. You know right. she does. Yeah. You know she does. Her alone stop hating. Anyway, so yeah, right? Like we all yeah. are sitting on the mm-hmm. edge of our seat. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Just be, be patient. So mm-hmm. anyway, so th- that just those three bridges sort of show you a range of like how differently things can be appreciated slash appropriated, right? Right. Um, 
but bell hooks, I sort of evoke bell hooks in the book, and she talks about being an enlightened witness. So basically, mm. it's a call for people who are in these inevitable transactions between high corporate levels and um, marginalized people. The moment they shake hands and sign a contract, they both need to know what's going on. And that's really what the, the objective is. Not to um, say that, you know, white folks like Ryan Murphy can't help drive stories for uh, shows like Pose, yeah. for communities like Ballroom, but who's in the room? Who has a stake? That's really it. If the game is capitalism, who has a stake? So, you know, I've been approached by a couple of folks to do a, do a, docu-ser- to do a docuseries for the book, um, which I think would be great. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I love the idea book is very modular each chapter is a category so i kind of had that in mind when i wrote it um and plus we need something after paris is burning because we haven't gotten it yet you know we need something that's right. critical crucial and from within mm-hmm. yeah. mm-hmm. so for pose but folks from the ballroom were consultants mostly choreographers and consultants nobody was really a producer and when you are a producer of a show like that you get uh, royalties to get residuals mm-hmm. after the show is over. So that's a, exactly you have a stake in it. And so mm-hmm. my thought is now that I'm meeting with these production companies and starting to get this thing off to the ground is my baseline group. I'm executive producer A because I wrote the damn thing and it's kind of a memoir. To yeah. to it's your that. stuff, yeah. It's your and shit. Yeah, go off. It's it's my shit, right? And then the <laughs> other part is I need. Genovia Chase, who is a ballroom legend. I need my father, Michael Roberson, who they were both consultants on Pose. Mm-hmm. Um, and I need Twiggy uh, Pucci Garcon, um, my, my ballroom good. sisters, to be pr- producers baseline level. Mm-hmm. So any meeting mm-hmm. we go into, they're there. Yeah. Um, and that'll sort, that's the next. So it's, it's these little sort of victories. Um, and they will make sure the story is good. And mm-hmm. they will make sure the story is real. Um, right. And just like with the book, you know, I am, um, I've said I've, of ballroom, my family tells me to say I am it, but I'm, I, the reason this book can be written is because I'm one foot in and one foot out. I'm very much of the literary world, you know, John and I can sort of, um, that's where we met. But then yeah. on the other end, I have a whole family that nurtured me uh, scholastically um, and interpersonally, and that's ballroom. And so I think, I don't know if somebody... I think a writer from inside the community could have written it, but I don't know if this book could have been written by somebody who's only just ballroom, right? It's kind of both mm-hmm. those things. That being said, I had to make sure every single chapter of my book had somebody who was wholly ballroom in it and being interviewed and telling their story. Um, because how how is my, you know, how is my objective and my thesis of the book screw capitalism and appropriation and then I don't involve anybody in the book? Like, I, I'm on a mission. And, and it has to include the people I'm talking about. I'm here to serve. Um, and so that's a, that's a difference, too, is being trying not to modify the thing, but be of service. How can I help? How can I help and what can I do for you? That's sort of my MO for writing as it yeah. stands. And black women are on my radar for next books, for sure. Yeah, and I, I love that you say that because I think a big part of all of this, whether it be... TV, film, you know, whether it be podcasting, you know, really, and we're going to, for folks who are listening, 
y'all know we're going to get into a conversation about family and chosen family and all that in, in, in the next segment. But all that to be said, I think it's really important. What you're basically outlining is you're showing this notion of once you get into the room, you're opening the door for your, your sisters and for your family members to come in. Because honestly, the, the the industry is not giving us opportunities to tell our stories the way we want to tell them. And in a lot of ways, and and and, and that's why I, I I wanted to make sure that I underscored the notion of appropriation. We get a lot of the story in ball culture, and I'll even say this to an extent. And me and Stephen have had these conversations back and forth, so I'm not saying anything on the air that I wouldn't say to Stephen. I think even to Stephen's point, there have been moments that Stephen wanted to tell a story and pose, and because it would not have translated well for television they didn't tell that story or they didn't go a certain way. Right. And so I think all of us, like even though Steven is writing the story and FX has the story and all of these different things are happening around the stories. There are so many different vantage points that we all have to tell around the story. And I love that your book is also giving voice to those who are truly in ball culture and really truly living the experience. Before we move on to our next segment, I I do have one last question. I, I mean, we all know pretty much anything and everything related to queer culture is connected to ball in any type of way, in any shape or form, right? And and I think one of the common concerns that I hear is that ball culture is a resource that could potentially move or could potentially run out, right? So I guess the question that I have for you, you know, as kind of like a wrap up to this or a very cute bow to this is what do you envision kind of the, the, the future of ballroom to be? And what would you posit for, for, for listeners who like, okay, so, um, again, y- y'all know I'm real good, real terrible with names and I'm real terrible with ideas, but I do know there is, Something that happens in Brooklyn every Monday, and I know you can go on YouTube and you can watch it. It happens at like 12 a.m. It's like a ball. I, f- I, I forget the name of it. Um, but anyway, for folks who like are watching balls, wanting to go to a ball, wanting to be a part of ball culture, what advice would you have for them? I know that's okay, a really so, um, two, Okay, so <laughs> no, no, I, I'm, I'm with you. I got you. I got you. So. The first part is, will ballroom as a resource run out? I do not yeah. think so ever. It, 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 it will the day marginalization runs out, and y'all have seen the news. So, like, just, you know, no. I don't think that's going to happen. Arts never okay. run out in times of tragedy. They never run out. And so as long as, long as um, Black queer and Latin queer folks are being marginalized, I don't think it's going anywhere. Um, and unfortunately, that's for the foreseeable future. Um, I get, so, I feel you wholeheartedly. I mean, if you think, of, I mean, think about all these, all these no gay laws, you know, uh, uh, transphobic laws that are happening mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. Like, yeah. The children need a space, you know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't think that's going anywhere. Yay! Um, second, <laughs> oh, okay. So this, so, right, hooray, hooray. We'll, we'll, we're all in business. We're all gonna have fun, right? But the second part of your question, I, you stay answered it. When I started this book tour a year ago when the book came out, I was like, oh, all you got to do is Google it, like, you know, just whatever. And I did a talk for The Strand, which is a big bookstore here in New York, um, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. month or the week the book, the book came out. And mm-hmm. again, not only just in the book, but in these events, if I have one, have an event, 
um, that promotes a book that someone from my ballroom family can be in or somebody from the book even better can be in, um, which is often the same thing. I invite them in to get their to get their coins and to get their um, press. So the strain reached out to Twiggy, my gay sister, and Twiggy came on and somebody asked this question. And I mind you, I'm learning in real time with this. Like, you know, I have a decade's worth of ballroom research, but I'm learning how to talk about it sometimes in, in yeah. real time. Yeah, and yeah. Um, so someone asked this question. Someone asked this question. Twiggy goes, um, so I go, yeah, girl, just Google it. You know, like Google ball in my town. You know, like <laughs> that. Because the, the other thing about it is that folks don't know that balls are happening around them constantly. You just have right, never right. thought to look for it, right? Mm-hmm. So, so that was my stock answer. Girl, just just Google it. And then I thought, with it, which is my normal instinct, I thought, let me ask Twiggy what she thinks. She's moderating, but I want to know what Twiggy thinks. I was like, mm-hmm. what would you say to that question? Twiggy was like, <laughs> Twiggy goes, I'm not going to tell you if you find it, you find it. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> right, right. I was like, okay. I was like, well, what she said. So now my answer is, oh, I'm not helping you. If you're meant to be in a ball, then you will find your way. You'll find your way there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not if feeling like, yeah. it feel like, uh, what's her name? Uh, Cinderella? <laughs> if you get invited yeah. to the ball, girl, you'll get invited. Mm-mm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you ain't got a ticket. That's a shame. No. That is so <laughs> but, but, <laughs> yeah, that's you no, I, I don't got a plus one. I don't have yeah, a plus one. So yeah, sorry. like that. Is, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Okay. But you know what? To your to your point, it's ball ballroom is prevalent enough that it's not it's not hard to find. Like it really isn't. It's, yeah. You know, go look it up, I girl. Love that. Yeah, you'll you'll fi- you if you really want to be there, you'll figure it out. Just like you find a Starbucks in any city you in, so you'll find a ball if you really want to be there. All right. Well, with that being said, and you I'll- somehow found you somehow found you somehow found you somehow found the only Arby's in town. You can find Look, a ball. Okay. You know me, and if there's one thing about Dr. John Paul, <laughs> I'm gonna find the Arby's. <laughs> Because I eat down at the Arby's, honey. All of the roast beef. I fucking... Horsey sauce. Yeah, girl. You Don't get me going. Don't start. Don't start. Okay, let me go ahead. We got to go to a, another break. All that being said. And now that you know that a death drop and a shablam does not exist, because baby, it's a dip. We are going to talk. We're going to take a quick beat. And then when we come back, we're going to get into our next segment of How You Healing more in a sec. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The wait is over. The Shy returns May 10th on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash TheShot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Hey, fam. We are back with our next segment. Ricky, I know your book touches on the house system, and as you mentioned before in this conversation, as a unit of chosen family, especially for young people who often have nowhere to go. The housing system saves them from experiencing homelessness, forms of violence and abuse, and provides them them some stability. Chosen family is such a powerful component of queer identity to me and so many others. So for for today's, for our How You Healing segment, I'd love to ask y'all, how do you feel feel that chosen family has saved you or helped you heal familial hurt? I'll start, then we'll pass pass to our guest, Ricky, and then we'll pass to John. For me, I'll just say that Chosen family makes me feel whole. My dad always told me that blood runs blood runs thicker than water, which I never believed. And if that's if that is true, then call them the my chosen family are milkshakes because they are thick as hell. Baby got me covered, got me cushy in every fucking way. They have saved me because they give me access to myself. I think a lot about a lot about my friend Cora, who when I, when I met her in my freshman year of high school, right? You know, like she just receives this cute little Gay, this kilo gay boy who does not know what 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 he is, mm. and she's like, "Have you seen Drag Race before?" And like, and like, like you know, like, like, like puts me on, and not like not in a way of not a way of like you're gay, you must watch Drag Race, but like, I like I want to show you this thing that you might really enjoy that can give you access to yourself, that can give you some language to yourself, you know, yeah. to, to to friends who I would come out to and say, "I love you fiercely, regardless," and you who you love was 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 never a thought for me. Yeah. Um, it's so so special, and 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 I'll be super clear in saying that also, my chosen my to me chosen family can include can include biological one too, because I because yeah. I choose them, like I do choose I choose my brother, I choose my sister, I choose my nieces, I choose my mom, I choose my aunt, like I choose so much so many people whether they're biological or not, they are my chosen family and they've chosen me, yeah. and we continually agree with each other to keep choosing each other, and I feel like. They, they've healed familial hurt because I do have family members that won't rock with me, that won't talk to me, that won't, that won't, 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 won't want to love me the way that I deserve to be loved because of who I am, because I'm black, because I'm fat, because I'm queer, because I'm all of the above. Um, you know, and, and so chosen family has really helped save me in so many ways. Without it, I, w- I would not be here today. So Ricky, I'd love to hear 
how it has done that for you. Yeah, um, it did it real literally. So the, um, two months before I started taking that biology class and moved to New York, I told my father, um, we, are, we won't be speaking anymore. Um, he was homophobic my whole life. And also I was an overweight child, so he uh, was very fat focused too. Um, and, you know, we, I told him at the end of, like, we, we reconnected, like, every 10 years after I was about 20 or so, we would reconnect and, like, he would say something else horrible or show himself to be a real asshole. And one of those times right before I started this mm. class at the new school 10 years ago, he, um, he did something. And I remember just being like, you know what? Just never mind. I don't need your help. And, you know, one of these days I'm going to write a book and you're either going to be startlingly absent or you're not going to mm. like the way that you look at it. Yikes. And 11 years mm -hmm. later, I wrote this book and used him as an example of just, you know, just he put me in the hospital um, running in the hot Savannah, Georgia sun. And mm. at the end of my stay, he said, you know, if I ever found out my son was a homosexual, I would kill him. He put it in a hypothetical sense, but while I was wow, so yeah, um, and so, and two months later, I found two fathers who were gay in ballroom, um, and I am the heir to their scholarly um, estate. I um, mm -hmm. and they're public intellectuals, they're activists. One of them is down working in a woman's prison in Alabama. The other one is. Um, a figurehead of ballroom and um, a public health advocate. And so uh, I won out. Ballroom multiplied my blessings. It got actually got rid of a curse and multiplied my blessings. Too. So, Amen. You better um, so say that. Important. Come on now. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Like, mm. like I got rid of the, the bum. The bum got out. I dropped my zero and got two zeros. That's what it was. Oh, yes. Come on. Get that bum out of here. Kick rocks with open toe shoes, honey. Yes, God. That's right. <laughs> and, you know, footnote, I internalized all of that. And, you know, now nobody in my family is talking to him. Nobody. So I thought it was a, a fat gay thing. But yeah. it was really just my father isn't happy with himself and or and nobody because of that. So. Um, so ballroom I, I, saved a lot of my life in a lot. Thank you, Joho. I, I want to say, I, I so I I immediately saw this question and was like, you ain't gonna cry on this episode. Like we we not you can't cough and cry. So I won't be crying <laughs> during this episode. But what I will be saying is, you know, I think you know you asking this question and and having Ricky Rick and and I don't think Ricky knows this, but I think a big part of me continuing to kind of keep writing was I was at a very weird place as a writer when I when I got to Lambda Literary in 2017 and even seeing like all my friends who some of them have gone off and have done some really big things with their books have sold shows have sold movies and have done all of these things right um I think it's really cool that I was able to manifest a both a, a in person and and an online friendship with someone who reminds me every day that I can do it and I think that's one thing I will say that chosen family has done for me is my family and I I've, I've spoken about this in so many things both online and off 
my family, and I say outside of my my mom, who I know is a listener, and I say this every week, Edwina listens. Um, so I, I have to be real cautious <laughs> about talking about Edwina because I'm gonna see her in a couple weeks and I don't want her on my ass. <laughs> um but my mom, my brother, I have a couple of cousins who now more than ever have been really supportive and have said, we've always known you were queer. We love what you're doing with your queerness. We support you. You know, you're, you're talking about blackness and all of this, right? But there have been like, like you, Ricky, and, and I'm sure you can share this thing, Jordan. There have been some family in my life who would honestly, you know, would laugh at me when I told them that I would have, you know, would have, would have laughed at me. If I told them 10 years ago that I was going to have a show on iHeart's network that would say, who, you know, who want to hear you talk about being fat and queer? Like, don't nobody care. You know, a lot of my family wasn't supportive. And so I will say, you know, as a caveat to that, I am very fortunate for not only people who follow me on social media, but a lot of the friends that I've made off of social media who have become my family. The Jessica Marie Garcia's who like this morning text me and said, girl, I know you're down and you're, you know, you're dealing with your health. So if you need anything, call me and, you know, me or my husband will come in and, and, and give you what you need. Like never in my wildest dreams would I have imagined that I would have such a supportive and loving network of people, not only even just in business, but like in my, in my day to day, it's, it's insane because I grew up again, very isolated and feeling very alone. And oftentimes too, like even during the holidays, you know, Jordan, and we've talked about this with religion. I grew up with Jehovah's Witness, so I didn't have holidays. And so in my life, oftentimes holidays can feel very, 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 very dark because nobody in my family on even my mom, my mom doesn't still to this day doesn't celebrate holidays. Right. Um, and so while my brother and his family will oftentimes invite me, I still don't feel like I'm a part of the holidays, if that makes sense. And so I'm grateful for the friends and family who honestly are like, yo, I know Christmas is coming up and you often, you know, feel away when Christmas comes around. We got you. We got you gifts. And, you know, we're, we're thinking about you. You're a part of our family. Right. Um, but again, I think for me, chosen family is such a big thing because, yes, we all experience in whether it be physical or not, you know, the mental violence and abuse is is real and it's there. But I also believe, like you said, Joho, that there's so much stability in knowing, like, if I'm having a day where I'm frustrated about the show, I can call you, Jordan. And I know I got my sister, right? If you, I'm having yes, you know a it. hard day with publishing, I can call Ricky and say, girl, what is going on? My lit manager is not doing X, Y. Have you navigated mm. this, right? It's it's so much bigger. And so I, I guess I say all of that to say, like, there's so many people... I, and I'm really trying not to, to ramble. There are so many people who are oftentimes in the mind of saying, I don't need anybody. I got this. I can do it by myself. You know, I've, I've been alone my whole life, so I'm okay with being by myself. And it is so healing these days for me. It is so healing to say, I don't have all of this shit by myself. And I got friends and I've gotten chosen family members that I've made who also got me on the days that I can't get, I can't have me. So, um, you know, I, I, I definitely, I, I just, I really fucks with this idea that you don't need to, for those of you who are listening and may have family in your life who is not supportive or loving or, or not lifting you in the way you want, go out there, find them. They're, they are there. 
there are people out there who truly want the best for you. And I think that's really what I wanted this segment to be this week is, is, is a ode to that. Like we all have people who love us that whether they be true family or friends that have become our family, uh, they, they gonna have you and us over here at the black fat fan podcast girl, we got you. Mm. I know y'all listening and, and, and y'all are, y'all are sending us love. We, we got you. So yeah, I, I, I guess that's kind of that on that. We are family. Like a giant, like a giant tree. tree. Mm. That's all mm-hmm. I know. That's all. That's the same. I'm like, is there actual lyrics? That's all I know. That's all, all I know. I know. That's I'm all. like, that's oh. we are family. That's the best part. We all got uh, pain. I, I love y'all so, so, so much. Thank you so much for family with us. Fam, now that you know our secrets about keeping each other's family real and keeping it right, and keeping it tight. We have one more. We have one more break to take. Ooh, I am on the ride today, bitch. One more break to take, <laughs> but we will be right. Yes, <laughs> snack. I'm Katia Adler, host of the Global Story. Over the last twenty-five years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The wait is over. The Shy returns May 10th on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash TheShot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Lord, we are back for y'all's favorite segment. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am, Pam. I'm just, I'm still over here laughing because Yoho is literally, uh, who, Raw Doll? Not her being Dr. Seuss. All of her <laughs> stuff is rhyming today. So it's just, Raw Doll. Raw Doll boots down, honey, over here. <laughs> rhyming things. Giving Yoho us materials to tease. <laughs> <laughs> Not her in the day for a week out here rapping these streets, Ooh, bitch. Girl, uh-uh, <laughs> like get, literally getting ready to bust into a rap. 
Um, <laughs> this one for the boys with the booming systems. All right. Well, with that being said, we're gonna go ahead and get into this. Uh, this here, I'm over here cackling, girl. I'm trying to. Keep, so I'm gonna just be real with y'all. I y'all know I got a cold. I'm sitting over here trying not to die because of these lights. I'm hot, and I'm also kind of going through it with just not being able to breathe. Being having a cold is ghetto. I don't. This is so terrible. Um, but I did want to say mm-hmm. for my, we're, I'm gonna do my yes, ma'ams. We'll give it to you, Ricky. Your yes, ma'ams, your no, ma'am, pams, and then Joho, you'll you'll close us out. We'll wrap it up and we'll be done. Um, for me this week, I am shouting out. So I got asked. I be feeling. I literally be feeling. Uh, like I'm somebody when I be sometimes talking about the stuff that I'm doing. I got asked by MGM to actually give some notes on the new film Bottoms. And what I will say is this, I can't say too much because the show is getting, by the time you hear this, it will actually have premiered at South by Southwest and it should be coming out a couple of months after. But what I will say about the film is, and if you, any of you do not know anything about the, the uh, about the film, it was written by, um, one is written by a woman and directed by a woman. It's absolutely like fantastic, but it's about two young lesbian women and their experience of basically starting a fight club at their school to try to get in with some of the girls that they're, they're good with. And what I will say about the film and why it should be on all of y'all's radar is that it is the first film that I have watched where I've honestly have said, yo, that's me. Like, I, I remember being in high school and feeling that way, right? So it's just the representation in the film. It's, it's really camp. I will give you that. Y'all will probably say, I saw that movie and it was trash. Okay. That's your opinion. It is very camp. It is a lot. It is a little messy at times, but I will say that in my mind, it is probably the most accurate depiction of what it's like to be a junior or a senior in high school and being queer, having crushes on your friends, yada, yada, yada. It's just a really cute film. Um, and like I said, it's premiering this this week or this month at South by Southwest. And so by the time you all hear this, um, there should be dates for you all to go see it. Now, my No Man Pam's I changed my No Man Pams a couple of times and I finally landed on this one. And I'm just going to say this and then I'll throw it over to you, Ricky. Um, I am over companies hiring influencers to do the jobs of journalists. Period. So what I, what I mean by that, <laughs> when I say that is I am watching I'll, I'll give you all some insight as to where my mind is and why I specifically picked this as a No Man Pam. So I've been watching how certain influencers are getting like red carpets and there as someone who has a degree in journalism, there is a oh, communications, right? My, I have a comm degree. My communications was in public relations, but it was public relations in journalism. Okay. All of that to be said, I understand that when you do a red carpet, when you do anything in journalism, there's a certain level of decorum. And all that to say, there was an article that came out about Pedro Pascal. I guess there was an influencer who was on the red carpet who asked him a question about him being a quote-unquote daddy. And he basically gave them the cold shoulder. And a lot of people were was mad at Pedro. And I was going to myself, if this influencer truly had a degree, they would know that Disney is a family-oriented brand. So why are you asking Pedro Pascal about being a daddy at a Disney Plus event? Like, 
do your homework, right? So I guess my biggest thing is that there are all of these influencers who are taking jobs from journalists who really have studied and have mastered the craft. And even down to this, like I said, I'll say this and then I'll shut up, like down to just watching influencers moderate stuff. We saw what happened on Drag Race this last week. You can't everybody do an interview. Like it is, it is a, there's a technique. There's some studying that has to be done. You have to, you have to, it takes work. And I'm just really tired of brands thinking that because someone has a hundred thousand followers that it makes them a great journalist. It doesn't. I'm not calling anybody out. I'm calling people in brands. If there are people who work for brands, please know just because someone has over a hundred plus thousand followers does not make them a good moderator or a person to host an event or a red carpet. I'm just here to say that. Okay. Now, I'll just say this as well, really quickly, just to be conscious. Go ahead. Not all podcasters make good journalists either. Now, good journalists can make good podcasters. Okay. How you do? Not always the reverse. And it's not always <laughs> the reverse, baby. They don't go both ways, we're, girl. We're just some people, is, okay? Yes. I'm a yes and y'all on that because I was just watching Wheel of Fortune that tells you how old I am. I was just watching <laughs> Wheel of Fortune. They had a whole segment at the end where Pat Sajak's daughter, something, something, Allie Sajak or something was like, follow me on Instagram. I'll be interviewing people behind the scenes. No. Like, you are not in, no. no. Like, we, and you were fully telling us your name is Sajak. Why are you here other than episodes? Right. We could have had enough. Someone could have fun one more time in no. that time. I don't need your niece or your cousin. No, it's the same no. thing with Guy's Grocery Games. His son is everywhere now, and it's like, I don't need him. He is not <laughs> a trained host. Like, why is he here? I'm, I'm sorry. No. It just it really bugs me. All he's, <laughs> Paul, why is you here? All he's, all, he's done, all he's done is eating free food. Like, he is not a chef. He is, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, so my yes, ma'am, I think is going to be, can I have two? I want like one and a half. Yeah, girl, you can do whatever you want. Okay. So the first one is I've just been inundated with Jonathan Majors and I am not complaining. I love him so much. He is so fine. And I was, I watched Ant Man twice. I saw, I don't even like boxing. I'm like morally opposed to it, but one of my friends was like, she's free movie. She, she she was like, come see Creed 3. I was like, I hadn't seen 1 through 2. She was like, just see 1, don't see 2. Movies it was worth it. Movies. It was worth it. Jonathan with the men. Mm. The second thing is with the with the the men, but with uh, the the death of Burt Bacharach recently, I've been thinking a lot about Dionne Warwick because mm. that was an artistic sort of marriage. Um, early on, and mm-hmm. he wrote most of her songs. She put him on the map. And so I went and watched that documentary about her. I can't remember the name of it, but um, yeah, it's on HBO. It came out this mm-hmm. year about Dionne Warwick, and that is my ultimate yes, ma'am. She is a prize outside of her Twitter personality and being Whitney's first cousin. She is, mm-hmm. um, she is, she knows music theory. She was the first black woman to uh, win best pop vocals at the Grammys, on and on and yeah. on. Yes. Um, so Dionne Warwick, she's you lit- know literally the yes, San yes. Jose. All right. Yes, God. San Jose. She'll show you. She'll show you. She'll show you. Okay. And then the second one, I mean, so in my, um, <laughs> and by no man, Pam, 
like I don't know. I mean, I get I got so many. Where do I start? But one of them is people slamming their door on the floor behind, uh, under me. They are young students <laughs> from NYU, I presume. They can probably hear me now. I've lived here for a year now. There was not a slamming of the door before that. Now, five times a day, there's a door slamming, and I associate that with them. It's Pavlovian. I don't like that slamming, and I don't like that. And they're going to be gone next year, and mm-hmm. I'm still going to be here. That's mm-hmm. what I That's, that's mm-hmm. all I got. Slamming doors. Slamming, not, you know, your mom's like, why are you walking around slamming doors in my house? I'm like, why yes. are you walking around slamming doors in my house? You know what? Here. And we Not are officially of the age for that, right? Like for me, people driving through my complex yeah. with loud music. Why is your music so loud, girl? We don't need to hear it. Turn it down. Yeah. Turn it down. I don't. I got my own radio. I don't listen. Your listen. I'm here for uh, Ugh, old yeah. homes feeling the way we feel. Go <laughs> off, Ricky. I live, Ricky. I have to tell you, I, my two I, things. I, my two things are the. Dion Warwick yeah. and stop slamming your door. I am old. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it happens to all of us. We have That's okay. you're, you're showing me what I have to look forward to in the future. So thank you, you sure so, do. so much. Mm-hmm. Ricky, I have to send you I, I have to send you a video that I has that I had um but in my old apartment, my neighbor and I would always complain about some bitch on top of us always slamming their doors. And I sent her the funniest video. But after the sh- after the show, I'm gonna send you. I'm gonna send you the video because it is. Yeah. yeah, I think I think you'll get a laugh out of it because it's funny as hell about your neighbor who 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 be like, "Hey, girl, bam, slamming doors for no reason." Like, oh, you just hear them slamming doors. It's funny as hell. So, oh my god, yeah, um, just why? <laughs> <laughs> that why was so was why? so gay, and I live for it. Why? <laughs> Um, oh my god! Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna with my with my Pam. It's gonna be to the upcoming film, The Blackening. Yeah. It just sounds so good, giving me horror, giving me black as hell, giving yeah. me the movie that I have always wanted to see for a slash film with black characters. I'm so excited to see it. I cannot wait till it comes out in June. If y'all watch that at Sundance, I am so jealous of you. I can't wait to see it myself. It's gonna be so so. I read the so script good. already. What? Yeah, the whole script? script. Oh my god! I, also, I know what the movie is about. Yeah. I was gonna say. Also, speaking of fine men, Sinqua Walls. A lot of people sleep on him because he was in. He was in Teen Wolf. He was in a show that novel. This very niche, very niche show. That man. Yeah. Fun. Fun. You, you know what? The, I, I felt the the whole cast of that. <laughs> not to cut you off, Joel, but the whole cast. I think is just. I mean, Ivan Orji, uh-huh. Jermaine Fowler, Jay Farrow, like, give me, give oh, me yeah. everyone that yeah. I need. Like, you yeah. are giving me, yeah. like, mm-hmm. oof, like, mm-hmm. upcoming black royalty. I live. So, yes. Love it. Can't to see it. I know Man Pam is very simple. It just goes to all the folks who love us, but don't want to help us. Amen. That's it. All the folks Amen. who love who love going to our shows, who love watching our shows, who love who love giving us tips when we, when we see mm-hmm. us, who love who love, you know, having us be having us be their friends in the social circles, who love inviting us to dinner, who love who love making us their their, their accessory, but don't uh-huh. want to do a damn thing when it comes to talking about our mm-hmm. rights, about mm-hmm. our access, who mm-hmm. still want to go to Texas, right. in Tennessee, and Florida. I just yep. the no man him to all y'all. Mm-hmm. Just stop just stop mm-hmm. it. Like you, you like <laughs> like don't piss them off like in time it's raining. That's how I feel. Amen. Don't, don't do Amen. That. So I just, it's a no to all y'all. Get it together, please. If you love us, love us with action. 
love us, love us with written word, love us with statements, love us with mm-hmm. policy, mm-hmm. love us the way you love your child. Amen. Because you Amen. are not giving you're not giving anything to us. And I'm I'm just gonna say this and then we're gonna go ahead and wrap the show up. Keep in mind that just because they're not coming for you right now doesn't mean that they won't. Okay. Because just a lot of yet. people think they coming for you yet. Right. They have not come for you yet. And that's the thing I really want people to sit with, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody told me this and it has stuck with me. They said if they come for me in the morning, they will come for you in the night. And I keep telling people that. They they are literally Ooh. coming for all of us. And so you can sit back and go, oh, I'm not trans. It don't matter to me. Oh, I'm not queer. I'm not black. It don't matter. Baby, they are coming for you too. They they are they are literally waiting for the perfect time. So I just felt the need to say that. All right, everybody. This episode has given me everything I needed. I wish it, I really wish it could uh relieve me of this cold, but here we are. Um, for those of you who really enjoy the show, please continue (laughs) to send your thoughts, your feedback, and your emails to blackfatfilmpod at gmail.com. Please send your thoughts, feedback, and emails at to blackfatfilmpod at gmail.com. You can also send us your thoughts via social media by interacting with our post on Instagram and Twitter by using the handle at blackfatfilmpod. It'll just pop right up if you go to our page, if you go to Joho's page, if you go to my page. You'll find us if you just put Black Fat Feminine, it'll come right on up. Ricky, tell the girls where they can find you. You can find me on Instagram at Scale. That's R-I-C-T-O-R-S-C-A-L-E. Or you can find me if you want to have me come to your engagement, talk about ballroom, et cetera, et cetera. You can find me at thewriterrickytucker.com. Um, yes. Other than that, if you're in DC, if you're in DC on May 27th, I and my gay father, Michael Roberson, will be speaking and signing books at the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Library during Black Pride. Um, and we'll also be judging um, a ball later that afternoon. I'll be judging my first ball. Kids yes. across the board for life. I can't wait. I can't wait. Yes. What's that? Okay, come on, judge. Mm-hmm. Why ten ten tens? Um, are, what, what happened? I've been saying all week. A uh, tip 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 on hard room floors. Ten ten tens across the board. All right. Um, across the board. Yeah. Yes, Jordan. Where can the girls? Where can the dolls find you? Oh my God, y'all! Of course, as always, you can find me at Jehovah's across the social medias. Or if y'all haven't seen yet, your bitch was featured in a meta campaign. So you can find me outside Meta's HQ, begging to put my ass on a billboard so I can be famous and leverage that fame to buy me a house in San Francisco because I love it here too damn much and I don't want to leave. But let me clarify. Let me take a house from let me take a house from, from the white people. I'm not doing that. Just, I'm not <laughs> doing that justification thing. Okay, that's not my journey. But that's the, that's where y'all can hopefully find me. Or if, or if you want to buy me a house as well, you can. I love that. Hey, put me on the D, baby. I'll, I'll be there. Send a bitch a dollar. I live. <laughs> yes, yes. Send us a dollar or a D. Send the bitch a home. Yes, send a bitch a dollar or a D. <laughs> okay, a dollar or a D. Yes, Come baby. Come on now. <laughs> I wish I could name the episode a dollar or a D. D, but nobody would really know what that means. But overall, I definitely I feel that. As for me, you can honestly catch me down to the CVS buying up all the Zycam, the vitamin C, the Mucinex, the day quail, anything, mass, <laughs> alcohol, anything that's going to make me feel better, girl, because whatever this is that I have is not 
shaking. She will not leave. And I'm just really trying to hurt. Evacuate my body. I need <laughs> I need this cold to leave. I don't have time for her. Mama is sick down. And so I just really would love anybody and everybody to go ahead and uh, tell this cold to leave. Um, Because I really honestly don't have time for it. You can also find me. I'm going to say this because I love tooting my own horn. As one of the 25 black boy, black girl, right peoples, um, I am one of the 25. We're trying to get down to 12. It's like American Idol girl. We're trying to get down to 12. So if you got prayers, send them up to whoever you believe in because I'm trying to be one of the 12. I'll be working with some of the folks who used to work over at Insecure um, for their program. So all that to be said, um, I'm, if, if you're praying kind, please keep me in your prayers because um, in a couple of weeks, I'll know if I made it to the top 12. All that to be said, you can also visit my website at www.drjohnpaul.com. Um, and yeah, with that being said, we want to thank our new supervising producer, Rebecca Ramos, okay. uh, Bia, as well as Super producer, executive super producer, Anna Hostia, and everyone over at iHeartMedia. We would also like to shout out the wonderful editor, Chris Rogers, who just has something amazing happen to them. I can't say it on the mic, but I just want to say congrats, 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 Chris Rogers. You know what it is. Um, We are so proud of you, and I'm just so glad to see you finally getting the shine that you so rightly deserve. Um, when I see you in, in, in person, I definitely will, uh, will, will, you can insert air horns. Yes. I'm really proud of you, Chris. All, all that to be said, this has been another show. Thank you everybody for rocking with us and listening. And remember, don't put a question mark where God has put a period. Can I get an amen? Amen. I love us for real. See y'all next week. Bye. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The wait is over. The Shy returns May 10th on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. 
With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.